That's what it sounded like in central Israel just a few days ago on Saturday, October 7th, as Hamas rockets triggered air raid sirens and alerts. Jonathan Schiff was in synagogue in Jerusalem. He actually thought it was a drill or a malfunction. That is, until he turned his phone back on after Shabbat. Schiff is a Canadian lawyer, originally from Toronto. He moved to Israel 34 years ago in 1989. He served in the army. He got married. He raised a family. Within hours of the Hamas attack, his two married sons got called up to join their army units. His daughter is a soldier, too. At the same time, all four of Ira Garshowitz's children put on their uniforms. Garshowitz is a journalist. He's lived in Israel for 40 years. He immigrated from Toronto, too, in 1982. Garshowitz personally drove one of his sons to rendezvous with his IDF unit. He knows his daughter was sent north. She's nearly finished her mandatory service. Two Canadian-Israeli families with a total of seven kids in action, in tanks, in a special reconnaissance outfit. One is a medic. It's no wonder their fathers aren't sleeping and trying to stay busy. You know, we talk about wanting to protect our kids, but the bottom line is our kids are protecting us. That's right. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. The two Canadian-Israeli fathers, Jonathan Schiff and Ira Garshowitz, were going about their Simchat Torah holiday weekend routines when the attack happened. Garshowitz lives near Jerusalem, but he was visiting Tel Aviv at the time to plan a wedding for one of his sons that's scheduled for three weeks from now. Each of the fathers has four kids. Four of the boys are married already, but now, after the colossal failure of Israeli intelligence allowed the unprecedented incursion of Hamas terrorists into the country, and Israel declared war and is also keeping a lid on Hezbollah incursions across the northern border from Lebanon, Schiff and Garshowitz are among the hundreds of thousands of families nervously watching as their children joined the half-million IDF troops mobilized to respond to what Garshowitz feels is Israel's own Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Meanwhile, as civilians were told to stockpile scarce food and water, both men are volunteering to support their troops and the community. Jonathan Schiff and Ira Garshowitz join me now from Israel. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Nice to be with you both. It's an honor to speak to you. Thank you for making time for us today. First of all, we should tell our listeners that you both know each other. Did you know each other back home before you made Aliyah to Israel? I don't think so. No. I think we, we have uh, a few years between us, and yes. uh, we also do have uh, overlapping friends. Uh, let's start with you, Jonathan. How long have you been living in Israel? Um, when did you make Aliyah? I met Aliyah in uh, the fall of 1989, so I guess that's now 34 years exactly. And uh, Ira? I came in uh, 1982. I was the director of the Young Judea Bilouim Israel trip comes for six weeks, and when I took my uh, campers back to the airport to return to Canada, I did not join them on the flight. Israel was at war. That was the first Lebanon war, and I wasn't ready to go back. And you were, uh, Did you make Aliyah then, right away, and you joined the No, Aliyah? I just said, I'm, I'm just not ready to go back. But I certainly remember the Yom Kippur War in 73, 50 years ago, because already you're in high school, and you certainly understood what was going on. And I remember that uh, there was a movement of people coming to Israel just to be here, to be part of 
what Israel was going through during a war and uh, to help any way they could. And when my, my opportunity came in the summer of 82 to come here as a tourist and I just completed my university, I realized that was at a rare junction and an opportunity that allowed me to stay on. And then I, within a year, had made Aliyah officially. So it's, it's 40 years ago. And here you are, and now your children are on the front lines. Uh, before we ask a bit about that, I want to ask you just to describe what your situation, what your experience has been since the war broke out or the attack happened on Saturday. Well, actually, we were in shul on Saturday. And uh, when the first siren went off, I was convinced it was a malfunction. I mean, nobody was expecting anything, apparently. And um, then that day, news started trickling in. And uh, after Shabbat, we became aware of the, you know, the horror of the situation. Uh, Saturday night, already one of my sons was called up. And uh, second son was called up on Sunday morning. Um, and our daughter, not to the front, but she's also been called into reserve. And, um, you know, the country just sort of grinds to a halt. And, and everybody's focused on, on the one hand, trying to understand what's happening. And on the other hand, doing what they can. I mean, there's been more than 100% uh, people showing up for reserve duty. That means even people who weren't called have been going. Um, Sunday, in order to fill the time and not obsess about the news, we went, uh, my wife and I, to, to give blood. There was only one place in Jerusalem where you could do it, and we stood in line for 10 hours. It was unbelievable. Magen David Adon was overwhelmed, but you know, it's not their fault. And there were so many people who came, and um, it was really something. I mean, ultra-Orthodox in full Hasidic garb through everything you can think of uh, to, you know, secular kids with pins in their face in all sorts of places and everybody standing in line for 10 hours and nobody fighting and nobody pushing and nobody complaining and people coming by with water and popsicles all day long. Um, you know, there was just a feeling of people are in this together. And uh, yesterday came to work for a few hours and then we went shopping to buy things to send to units, took it to the local scouts chapter across the street from our house where the kids were busy uh, packing and organizing. And uh, our youngest son, who is about to go into the army and isn't yet, um, spent the evening at a hotel in Jerusalem helping people coming from the south to move in. So I would say, you know, on top of the horror and, and the fear and the, the terrible feelings, uh, there is a sense that everybody's just trying to do something to help. And Ira, how did the war... Uh, the attack impact your family, and uh, what have you been doing? Well, what I have with uh, in common with Jonathan here is that I too thought it was a malfunction, but there's a bit of a dramatic difference because uh, Jonathan was in the Jerusalem area, so he didn't have his sirens till later. I was Dafka this weekend in Tel Aviv with my wife and her family, and. Uh, some, some guests from abroad and my children who were all in this area, except for my daughter, who's a soldier and she did not get out. And the siren went off at 6.30 in the morning and it was, it was crazy. And um, I didn't even bother going to a safety room or a bomb shelter at first, because I was waiting for them to shut it off. 
because you're thinking, what happened? Why are they doing this? What 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 was the reason this time? What what was the was what's the excuse? Was it the Temple Mount visits? Was it you know during the the holidays? Um, and it didn't take long for everybody in the country to realize that Israel was under attack. Literally, I mean, thousands of rockets were fired. What we did not know was the heinous and terrible infiltration that was taking place. It was unfathomable. Nobody in, in their wildest dreams could have thought that could have happened here. We have four kids and our youngest daughter is now, um, she, she's towards the end of her army service. She has a few months left. My boys, each one of them within two hours, like Jonathan's boys and pretty much the other 350,000 soldiers that have turned up in an emergency call up in 2014 during Operation Protective Edge, uh, my two sons, my two, my second and third son were both very deeply involved with Gaza. And it was the most frightening and chilling thing I'd ever experienced. You're numb, you can't protect your kids, their phones are taken away. You know what's going on. And the worst part is that as a journalist, I knew things that most people didn't know before they were happening. And through friends I had who were in the army, they knew exactly where my kids were because there's screens that monitor wherever unit is. But I don't want to go into that. And here we are nine years later, and not two kids in the army, but four kids in the army. So like, you know, you think, can you really double that stress and that anxiety? Our, our, uh, I have three boys that um, our third son got married in May. Our uh, eldest got married a week before. And our second son is scheduled to be married in two weeks, two and a half weeks. Uh, sons number two and three um, went up to where they had to go together. And I picked up, I picked up my third son and his fiance. And then I, we went to pick up this just a few hours later, like early, like three hours later, it just all happened so fast. And this is with sirens still going off and, and, and no indication really what was going on in, in the Southern part of the country, which was just incomprehensible. So, um, to see my son's part from their they're newlyweds. And, you know, that story's happening all around the country. You know, I'd seen images like that in the past, previous wars, the husband and the wife kissing goodbye and the hug. And I said, oh, yes, these are my kids. This is just, this is nuts. So let me hear from Jonathan. I see you're nodding your head. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the word is, but, you know, also to my, both of my boys who, are, who had to go are married. Um, one set of uh, in-laws are actually here from Toronto, and so they're staying with their daughter. And uh, our other daughter-in-law uh, lives near us. Our parents are in a lunch food, so we're, you know, also juggling that whole thing, too. How did the morale seem when your kids were called up? Were they, you know, were they, what is the mood when this happened to them? Because you said they didn't know yet the extent of the atrocities that happened and the kidnappings, but can you describe what their mood was like? Look, um, I don't know exactly to say the mood. Obviously, it was very difficult for them. It was difficult for us. But what I would say, and I think is important to say, is um, 
there wasn't a second of hesitation. I mean, they, you know, not going willingly doesn't even begin to describe it. I think uh, there's just a sense of, you know, this has to be done and we're going and we'll do what we have to do. And uh, even, you know, when I've spoken, one of my sons I've spoken to who's in a, in a special unit and I've asked him, so, you know, what's going on? And he's just, all he says is, you know, we're doing what we have to do. Um, I think that kind of sums it up, uh, at least from what I've seen. You know, nobody's happy, but um, people, nobody's saying, well, I don't want to go or, 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 you know, what do we have to do this for or anything like that. People are just saying, this needs to be done and I'm going. The, the turnout and the response that people just dropped what they were doing, period. On top of that, Ellen, I want to tell you that I'm hearing stories now. People are showing up that hadn't, that hadn't done Milloween for years and, and, and we're looking to get out of it. They're coming back and without the training, they, they want to be with their friends. They realize that they want to defend the country. And I'm hearing about with now airlines, inter, other in, international airlines, except for El Al, of course. Uh, I heard of an El Al flight last night from Thailand that came in with people lying on the floors and 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 in the in in the bathrooms that's where they sat it was probably not i think there if there were fire regulations up in the air that plane would have been grounded because there were people demanding to come back and join their troops and this is still going on as we speak so it was it, it's it's wonderful to see but the circumstances are still very very concerning and Jonathan, you mentioned you uh, gave blood. I want to ask you guys, uh, what else your kids and family and friends are doing sort of on the civilian front to help displaced, internally displaced? Can you paint a picture of some of that activity that's going on? Well, and uh, what you did, you said you went to give blood, but what else? Jonathan, you go first. Okay, so look, there's a, there's a lot going around. Uh, we, you know, we belong to a shul and they're constantly sending out lists of things that are needed and the scouts are sending out lists of things that are needed and there's stuff online all the time. Um, you know, it's even if the army has supplies for everybody, and, and that's one of the issues at the moment, but, you know, to have 350,000 people coming within a day or two, obviously, you know, things, they don't have everything and people left home without stuff they need. So we bought basics like shampoo and, and, and t-shirts and things for people to sleep in and toothbrushes and toothpaste and that sort of thing. And, um, as I said, we took it to the local scouts chapter where kids were, working all day and all night yesterday to pack it up and send it. Um, I know that in Dizengoff Square in Tel Aviv, there's also just an enormous depot and there are people volunteering their cars and their trucks and whatever to, to get things around the country to different units. Um, there are also people working on initiatives to get more military type equipment, which there's a, you know, there's a dispute about whether it's needed or not, but it sounds like it is needed at least to a certain extent. Um, and, um, you know, then there are, there are other things. There are people who are missing. There's a constant flow of pictures coming around. Has anybody seen this person? Has anybody seen that person? Two people in our shul uh, have family members missing. One, a son, was at that party. And another one, is ne a nephew, was at that party. Um, people are trying to support other people. People are seeing what people need. As I said, um, my son was helping people from the south move into a hotel in Jerusalem. Um, organizations are also raising money to pay for hotel rooms and to do things like that. Um, and even yesterday, there was a funeral for a lone soldier who was here from abroad and was killed. 
and there was a call to attend the funeral and apparently it was just packed. So um, I haven't really slept. I had a, a notion it was just a matter of time and we, we already have lost three friends and um, a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, his name was Gil Tessa, who was the security officer of Kibbutz uh, Nativa Sara. He was a real Marlboro man, a, 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 just a real dude imposing, strong, gentle, and you'll be hearing about him. And then we found, when I found out five minutes after I found out about that, my daughter, who's in the army now too, and just just briefly, just to tell you what she was doing, and I don't want to give a, a security or political survey, but let's just say that the Northern border is very vulnerable. So my daughter like took a page out of Julie Andrews' Sound of Music, where her and her soldiers went up to evacuate children from the kibbutzim along the borders, singing to the kids and relocating them to uh, kibbutzim in the central part of the country. You know, that's quite quite a task for for a 20-year-old kid to do. And um, then the next day we found out of uh, that Leah's classmate, uh, somebody she was... uh, in school with straight through in kindergarten and somebody, a, a, a prominent member of our community. And, and these are things, you know, to see your kids burying their friends is just beyond. The government has issued um, the Home Front Command said that people need to get three days worth of supplies and emergency kits to make sure that they can last right in shelters or wherever for three days without electricity. Does that apply to you in the big cities too? Or, and have you done that? I don't know where you were, Jonathan, when you saw that come in as a, as a Ynet or uh, a news flash that the home front recommends stocking up on, on food and water. Well, I was in Tel Aviv because I'm still here because we're here taking care of our daughters-in-law while their husbands are gone and, uh, both my wife and I are working from here. And I went to the nearby Makolet just very quietly and calmly with my antenna in my, my, my earphone in my ear listening to the news. And all of a sudden, there were dozens of people like me at the small little Makolet coming to stock up on water and cans of food. And it was an exponential uh, tsunami within 15 minutes that people very quietly walked up to the huge stack of uh, water bottles outside and started walking off with them, not paying. Very elegantly, I'm talking about in a nice neighborhood. My wife very cleverly said that they'll probably come back and pay the next day because they didn't want to stand in line. And uh, we remember the scenes of panic, stocking up on on, uh, toilet paper with COVID. So... I, I personally witnessed that. I was one of the first people to get my water because I'm a real-time kind of guy when, when news breaks and I know about it. And I'm quite interested in hearing what Jonathan went through in, in, in his neighborhood, if it was anything similar. The truth is we didn't stock up. Maybe we should. Um, I also heard that it wasn't, wasn't true and it wasn't real, and I don't know um, what the situation is. I haven't heard about people, though, going mad and going to stock up. Oh, the army spokesman retracted 30 minutes right. later. Right, that's why. I heard it first from somebody in a store when I went to buy uh, things to send to the soldiers. And then by the time I was home, I had heard that it had been retracted. So 
you guys are in this situation and on going back to your four children and your three that are in and friends and family and neighbors whose kids are in. Um, how do you process? How do you cope? I mean, you're at work, you're working. How, how are you dealing with this? It's our kids and it's our friends, kids and it's our kids, friends. So it just covers everybody. Everybody's in this. At least in my circles, in my community, in my different communities of friendships. So how do you process it? It's, uh, it's very unpleasant that you can't protect your kids and you know that anywhere they are, they are in danger pretty much. And you can't protect your kids even though they're grown-ups. I have to say, I don't think it... There isn't a time of day when I'm not thinking about it on some level. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's fear, it's sadness, it's, it's all sorts of things rolled up in one. And I come to work so that I'm not just sitting home watching TV and obsessing. Um, but if there's, you know, an image I thought of this morning, I uh, woke up at three in the morning and it was pouring rain, which is usually a very pleasant sound when you're in bed. And all I could think about was, I hope it's not raining where the boys are. That was well said. Uh, I want to thank both of you for giving us your, your frontline view of what's going on. And uh, I really, really appreciate you making time today for being on the CJN Daily, both of you. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay safe. We'll pray days. for thank your you. kids. Thank you. We'll pray for your kids. And just you should know, and people should know, as Ira said, you know, we're flooded with people, family and friends showing interest. And, you know, on the one hand, you could say, substantially it doesn't do anything but it, it does it's 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 important I'm, I'm getting calls from all over the world from people i haven't been in touch with for 20 years because this kind of story is now the top story in the world and it will take a switch in the next few days when the pictures start coming out of gaza but for now we're the story our pain our losses and um, it's, you know, the words of encouragement, it, it, it's comforting, it's nice. It's, it's certainly not helping the people who have lost family and friends and were devastated. But uh, it's nice to know that we are not standing alone. Yep. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality and customer care. Ira Garshowitz says his son's medical unit needs ceramic vests and lots of other gear, which is in short supply, as 350,000 reservists have been called up at once, one of the largest, if not the largest, mobilization in Israeli history. While it's illegal to donate arms to Israel from Canada, I have put some links in our show notes for general ways you can donate, including through the Canadian Jewish Federation's National Emergency Fund and Mizrahi Canada's too. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily.